Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today, we have Jim Boren on the show. Jim is a journalist, longtime editor of the Fresno Bee, and most recently, the executive director of the Institute for Media and Public Trust at Fresno State. This was a great conversation, and we really dig into some weighty topics after the, you know, usual perfunctory burrito conversations at the beginning. Let's go meet Jim, and Baker will take us there. Fresno's best. Uh, so, Jim, where do you, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Well, <clears throat> that's a great question because I like to eat everywhere. Um, I'll probably pass on the gas station sushi, although I got to admit, I may have tried it once in my lifetime, but um, I love taco trucks. I think that's probably a standard answer for most people, given um, uh, how, how prevalent they are in, in, in Fresno and, uh, and how good they are. I love um, La Imperial Taqueria. I've got a little connection to them. They, um, uh, when I retired, um, I didn't want to have a retirement party in a banquet room uh, in, the, in the days before the pandemic. Um, so I said, well, why can't we just get a bunch of taco trucks out of the bee? And um, so we did that in the parking lot and put up tents and, and La, La Imperial Taqueria um, catered it. It was a great time. It was uh, in January. It was cold. They had heaters, but it was just so much fun. So they were, they're great. Uh, love uh, Thai country in um, in Clovis, and if we're talking the metro area, you know their pad Thai and uh, red curry chicken, incredible. Um, Max Bistro is wonderful, um, and another favorite is um, Don Pepe Taqueria, and that's been a longtime family favorite. Um, my dad, who passed in 1992, we used to go there all the time, and they have the great. Um, uh, Mexican food that's that's and this is literally a hole in the wall because I it used to be I think a Kentucky Fried Chicken at Blackstone and Gettysburg I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, food is great. Um, the burrito um, it, it's the size of a Buick and um, <laughs> <laughs> those are a couple of them. What's your what's your opinion on the wet versus the dry burrito? I've been a long standing. It has to be wrapped in aluminum foil. And I've got to kind of slowly open it as I eat it. But uh, yes. a lot of places serve the wet around here. And so I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the wet personally. Yeah, you know, I, I, I prefer the dry. But, I, you, know, I, you know, frankly, I'll eat anything. And, um, and it's all good. And, you know, the, um, obviously the Mexican food um, around here is incredible. Um, you know, whether it's um, from taco trucks or some of the, some of the you know, more formal um, restaurants. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll try anything. And um, of course, you know, it's not good for my weight, but there you go. Well, I mean, you're in Fresno, right? And, I, you know, I, I struggle with taco trucks in, in large part because you can't really know whether it's a good or bad taco truck until you eat it. And then once you've eaten it, you've made a kind of a, a spiritual commitment to that carne asada that you've ingested. Mm -hmm. And so do you have some system for judging whether you're going to pull the trigger on a taco truck? 
You know, I, I, I'll try one if I'm, if I'm hungry. I remember uh, we were driving around and this was pre-pandemic and we saw one at, um, at Chestnut. We were out by the airport at Chestnut and Shields and um, said, hey, let's give it a try. It was really good. So, you know, I was taking a flyer. La Ampelia uh, Taqueria is great. Uh, they're so good. And then, you know, at um, where the taco trucks congregate, you know, Mike Oz has really started that Fresno Eats. And um, I like going there during the pandemic because you can take um, a couple of lawn chairs, go to the taco trucks, find a little sidewalk that's socially distanced and, um, and have your meal. And it's sort of like eating. There's people around and they're a long ways away, but it's, uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, the taco trucks there at um, 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 uh, Bella, is it at Shepherd and Willow? Uh, they congregate on Saturdays there. Uh, that's a nice spot. And, and there's all sorts of different varieties. So, um, the taco trucks have really, there's some gourmet taco trucks in town. Yeah, I mean, food trucks as an industry is something that has gone from, you know, construction site accompaniment to, uh, you know, people line up and follow them on social media. So it's like anything, you know, it's once, once someone discovers a new kind of a new market or new niche that they can exploit, then things get more sophisticated. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think there's, there's a lot of cool taco trucks in Fresno and I think it's a, it's a cool thing and it's a, it's a good thing too in the pandemic cause you can kind of isolate and, and yeah. get your food. But, um, you know, yeah. I, um, it's funny to jump from taco truck, from taco trucks to epistemology, but this is what we're going to do. Um, and you know, it, as a student of philosophy and different, different subjects, you know, over time, the kind of the authorities of knowledge and where we get our knowledge from have been questioned, you know, and I think about, some of the concepts in postmodernism, you know, whether we question these foundational truths and, you know, one of the foundational truths or, or sources of, you know, I don't want to say foundational truth, but the facts that make democracy work is, is journalism and newspapers. And, you know, I feel like we, we are at such a point, you know, given what's going on today uh, with uh, that uh, uh, Congresswoman, uh, in the House of Representatives that's being, I don't know if mm -hmm. she's being kicked off committees or whatever yeah. for spouting out conspiracy theories about the craziest things. Um, you know, we're just at a point where I, you know, I don't know what the way forward is. Um, and I don't know because things are so democratized that it's, it feels like it's gotten out of control. And you're doing a lot of work on trust and literacy. And so what's your kind of... Uh, prognosis where we are and what what the is it possible to get back to a, or, or do we even want to get to back to a, a place where people open up the Fresno Bee and that's their main source of information is that is that what the vision is um, well I don't think that's going to happen because where we are um, with with um, with news sites and, and, and other internets the one good thing about you know when I was growing up in Fresno and uh, when I was a young journalist, there was the Fresno Bee, and there were three uh, local TV stations that had news programs, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then Fox 26 came in later. Um, so, you know, you had essentially four sites. So most of the information that a community consumed 
was common information. They could still be liberal, conservative, take this position, that position. But now, um, because of the internet, you go out and find the news that supports your positions. You, um, it used to be that you, you consumed the news and then decided well, how you felt on an issue, whether it was a national issue or state or local issue. Now, you know where you are on the position, then you go find the news that supports it. And, and that's very troublesome. And some of that news is just, and it's fake, and it's, you know, that's what we're trying to do at the, at the Institute. And I, but I believe that um, it's only gonna get worse before it gets better. Um, we believe strongly that, um, you know, the platforms can do what they want with, you know, Facebook and Twitter and others. Um, but the real answer is to empower um, the public to be smart media consumers. Uh, media literacy needs to be um, taught in public schools at a very early age. Um, and so people can understand what they do. We, you know, we have eight tips on our website on how to determine what fake, fake news is and whether it's a legitimate um, news site. And the biggest reaction from people I get is, yeah, yeah, I like that, except it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, <clears throat> and then there's others that don't want to have that information. So they, they go to their news silo, you know, what, what we call it, you know, journalism of affirmation. And it's, and it's gonna be troublesome because when we can't even agree on the same facts to argue about, you know, how are we gonna come together on, on public policy issues? And that's, that is the, really the troubling thing um, for me. And one of the reasons that, that I wanted to start the Media Institute at Fresno State, because, um, you know, in, in some small way, if we can help, um, it, it'll make our community better. Yeah, I'm reading a I'm reading a biography. This seems out of left field, but I'm reading a biography on John Milton. So I've got Paradise Lost on my brain a lot these days, <laughs> and it feels a little bit like Paradise Lost. Like we, you know, we we can't go back. We can't go back to a place of, you know, people trusting one source for the facts and then expanding out from there. And it and it's it's hard to know, you know, even if we would want that, because the this world that's democratized does have its virtues, and and I don't, you know, I, I guess my question is, do you think, um, do you think the attack on the Capitol is kind of a sign or a symptom of this that when people can get any information that confirms anything? things are just, democracy is just going to keep breaking down like it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. The other thing I've been wondering recently is, you know, do all those folks believe that the election was stolen from Trump? Or does that give them an opportunity to say it was election was stolen, therefore I can do what I really wanted to do in the first place? Yeah. Um, but I do know several family members um, and friends who are um, um, true believer in, um, in the kinds of things that, that, uh, that, uh, that some of those people believed in that, that stormed the Capitol. And <clears throat> I don't have a problem with people having different points of view um, with me. And in fact, I, I think it's healthy, uh, but I wish, you know, that, that they were based on, 
on on facts. I mean, I think that that given my journalism background, I could probably make the case for what they're saying, not the not the um, <clears throat> um, the stolen election, but the conservative side of of what's going on in the country and why um, that some of the directions are, are not good and how a large swath of people are going to be left out. I can make their case, I think, a lot better than a lot of them. And I hate, I know that sounds arrogant. I don't mean it that way. But I think if you read a lot, um, you know, you know the, the arguments on both sides. I mean, as a journalist, that's what I always wanted to do was I want to know the, the best argument on the side that, that I don't understand and, um, and, then, and then be persuaded by it. But, you know, we know what's happened in our community. We know that um, had um, Black Lives Matter held a protest at the Sprouts store and, and Sprouts was forced to shut it down, that the police chief wouldn't have arrested and unarrested them and given them a pass people would have been arrested right away and that would have been very serious. So um, we've got a lot of, we've got, it's very troublesome. And even now um, the person that, that was leading that um, goes on his, on his um, uh, YouTube channel and, and calls um, uh, Mayor Dyer a moron and, and how he played the cops. And of course he did. <laughs> and I don't agree with um with the, the, the mayor Dyer was um, uh, is, is a moron. I think he's doing a great job and, and I'm going to give him an opportunity. Um, but uh, the cops were played or not. Maybe they just agreed with them. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate Dyer walking around picking up trash downtown. I enjoy seeing that on my social media feed. I think that's a good thing. And I, you know, I, I, I don't want to paint a grim picture because for me, you know, the democratization of journalism has enabled things like this, you know, and has enabled great, interesting, independent journalists to do creative projects that maybe, you know, an editorial room in the 70s wouldn't have had either the time, resources, or attention span to, to, yeah. to stomach, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about because, and I'm going to ask you later about something about <laughs> um, the, the famous movie, uh, All the President's Men. Um, but you know, in that they had to battle to, to get, you know, to get the editorial team or the publisher to want to go forward on this and on investigating a potential uh, criminal act being taking place in the executive branch. Today, there would be 15 different podcasts about it. There would be all these investigative groups going at it. So I do think there's some virtues. It's not all bad. I don't know. I, I agree. And, and, and it's not. And, and I, you know, I read a variety of, um, uh, of news sites. I pay for seven different publications. I can, you know, because of the internet, I can read in real time um, the Washington Post and the LA Times and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, all of which I read in, in the San Francisco Chronicle. I can see all their takes on issues. I can pop on to, um, um, to any of the news channels and see their sites. So, um, you know, we've never had uh, so much information at our disposal. And one of the, that may be part of the problem because, you know, we need to be able to sort through it. Um, 
this is my business. And so I, you know, I think I have a pretty good um, handle on that because I spend a lot of time doing it. It's like when I was a political reporter, um, I knew more about public policy than a lot of folks because they didn't have the time to really dig into it. And my job was to sort of sort it out and, 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 um, and give them that information. I mean, the whole idea of journalism is it gives value to a subject. It moves it beyond um, just the uh, um, staff report at the city hall on a planning item. Um, it you know, gives it value and sorts it out because, so people can, can make a, an informed decision. Um, and I think that um, for all the problems we have with um, journalism today, um, it is better from that standpoint by, by a, a long ways. I mean, I would love to, to be a reporter in the, when I was a young reporter and being able to break stories right away uh, and, and not wait till the next day's paper for it to come out. Um, and, and, and those are, you know, I mean, that would be an incredible opportunity um, and exciting. And, and, you know, you can measure the, you know, how much people read your stories. I mean, you know, in the past, you know, when I was a young reporter, you thought people read them, but you only knew it when either somebody called you up or sent you a, a <laughs> that came, you know, showed up three days later. Right. Well, and I, you know, you know, the analytics thing is a, is a whole nother, it becomes a, you know, a, a double-edged sword in that sometimes your best work is maybe not your most popular work. And, uh, and uh, there's always a temptation, always a temptation to, to lean in uh, to that, you know, clickbaity stuff. But uh yeah. I want to transition and talk about local papers because uh, you're, you know, the expert and, you know, I, I read it all the time and I don't know if it's similar to the discourse running around about people leaving California, whether it's, it's, it's partially just something that's just in the, in the air, whether it's based in fact is, is true or not. But what I'm reading is that local papers are struggling um, and they're trying to figure out a business model that works. Um, and a lot of, you know, people are subscribing to these big outlets that we've just talked about, you know, the kind of in what I call the coastal squeeze, where the coast is just kind of squeezing the rest of the, all the kind of elite people that read newspapers, they're just pulling them all from Des Moines or wherever from these different places. Um, but I know that we lose things when we lose local papers, we lose local coverage of important stories, we lose local politics. We lose a lot of things. Um, we lose kind of a, a, liter, a literate culture in a community as well. Um, but I want you to talk about what you think we lose as uh, some of these local papers start to fold. Well, the, uh, one of the things about a local newspaper in, in the past pre-internet is that you could really understand the tone and context and fabric of, um, of a community by just reading the paper. I remember when... Um, if I went to vacation in Los Angeles or San Francisco or San Luis Obispo, the first thing I did, we get, I would get the local paper, see what's going on in the community. Um, and we don't, you know, now you just, you know, Google events and, you know, in LA and stuff comes up. Um, but there's something about seeing um, that in print, we don't cover by necessity. And I saw that as an editor of the paper, what we used to cover. Uh, at City Hall, 
we used to have a reporter at City Hall, the Fresno County Board of Supervisors, um, and covering the education institutions, one reporter uh, at, at each place. And they never held a city council meeting. Even if the city council was an executive session, we would always, we'd stay there till the meeting was over and they adjourned it because if they came out and saw a reporter wasn't there, they'd do something. I mean, that was the, those kinds of things. And you found, you know, you had, you had columnists like, you know, Eli Sentensich that kind of gave you the insight of, of what's going on and sort of that three, three dot Herb Cain journalism kind of thing. You've had longer, deeper um, columns and stories about um, the community. When I was, um, I mean, in, in the, in the nineties um, and the early two hundreds before, uh, before the, um, the, the recession started in 2008, 2007 and 2008, we had 200 people in the Fresno Bee newsroom and 800 of the paper. I mean, you know, there's few papers would be that large right now. And what that meant was every Sunday, we had a major blockbuster project about something going on, an investigative thing. And if there wasn't a major project on Sunday, the executive editor at the time would raise heck, what's going on? You guys sleeping? Um, and we, we, so we did all those kinds of stories. We, we had the fabric of the community. Um, we covered sports. I remember when I was um, first started at, at the paper and I spent a little bit of time in the sports department, we would have the, the Sunday Fresno Bee mailed to all to the coastal communities because we covered every game in America. If you wanted the score of every game, there wouldn't be a long story on it, but there would be the scores, the Fresno Bee would have it. We had a Sunday um, agricultural section, the heart of San Joaquin Valley ag, ag base that was, um, that was like 48 pages on every Sunday. It was, um, you know, the equivalent of 24 pages because it was a tab. But you had all that. So you had these deep, deep coverages of, of everything important. Um, you know, I covered the education um, and, and schools and when they had, you know, strikes and desegregation in Fresno. And I, I essentially slept at the, at the district office and, and, rode, and rode the buses, the first bus that desegregated the um, um, students from Bullard and, and, and Edison High School. I, I, I rode that first bus with them to get their reaction. You know, we don't do that kind of stuff anymore because we don't have the time or the, or, or the, or the space uh, or the number of people to do it. So there, there is a lot of loss. And I think that, um, that while um, we have a lot of people covering a lot of things um, in various uh, other media, um, they all tend to cover the same things. They don't go deep. I mean, um, you know, GV Wire, which is, you know, doing a, doing a great job. They'll cut, they cover a lot of public policy stuff. Um, and they may have a story that the B doesn't have and the B has a story they don't have in, in other TV stations. But it's generally the same kind of general government coverage. But, um, you know, I used to, I would do features when I covered City Hall and the county. Um, I spent a day with the, um, um, the person that, that uh, was in charge of weights and measures. We went out to gasoline stations and 
measured whether a gallon of gas that you got on the pump was actually a gallon of gas. And then they put that sticker up there. I do a story on that. Nobody, I mean, I think those are great stories. Nobody's going to do that story today. I mean, it's not interesting, I guess. That, I mean, yeah, I, I, I had Donald Monroe on a while ago and I'm sure, you know, Donald. Yeah, very um, well. And uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, like classical music coverage or, you know, just different things that um, are important kind of fixtures in a community are not covered. And so what you're saying is kind of people are doing a thin graze across these, these issues, but they just, there's just not the manpower to, to dig deep. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Yep. But I'm glad you mentioned Donald, um, the internet's given this possibility. So, you know, the bee stopped covering, you know, um, uh, the, the arts and and music and 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 so he he started up his own blog and 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 is covering it as deeply as he did before and he couldn't have done that i mean you know in the old days what do you know mimograph it and hand it out on the street corner <laughs> yeah of, yeah i mean i read i read him i read him yeah. regularly it's great stuff and he's a he's an incredible writer he's got a he's very thoughtful um i always considered him uh the best writer at the b when i was there um, and, and, and he, and he's smart and, um, you know, he's also teaching, um, at, at Fresno state and doing a great job with, with our students. Yeah. So from a consumer's perspective, um, what, what is lost f- for them when they, cause I feel like, you know, in a lot of ways, and this is from cable news and from a lot of these different sources, we're really focused on national and if we you know if we're focused on national we're focused on one branch you know like if you ask anyone what major bills have come across congress this week they wouldn't tell you but you know they could tell you what joe biden did on his way to work with his dog or whatever and it it just feels like the consume what are the consumers missing um by just focusing on national issues well i'll i'll give you a good example is this uh, the school board so I don't think that there's a government entity at the state and national and, uh, and local level that has more impact on families on a daily basis than the school board. Um, except if we go to war and they started a draft and was picking kids out of, you know, 18 year olds out of families. Separate from that, you know, the, the if, you know, pre-pandemic and, and post-pandemic, um, the school board, tells you um, what time you get up in the morning, what you're going to be doing in the evening, when you can take your vacation. Um, do you drive your kid to school? Um, is there a bus? Um, you know, are there sports? Everything centers around the school. So, I mean, one of the most controversial stories that I wrote one time was when they did a, a school boundary change that, that impacted families where, where, um, some kids who were older and in the same family would go to one school and the other, the other would go to another school. Uh, and we're just talking K K six. I mean, they weren't, uh, it wasn't like the high school and, and, and middle schools. So like this, so we don't have a lot of that deep coverage. I know the bees got this educational, um, lab and I think they're doing a really good job with that, but those are the kinds of stories that, that impact people. Um, you know, you drive around town and you see that, you know, um, 
this is not a well-planned city. I don't think it ever has been. I've always been very critical of it. You know, we're a city that's in love with strip malls. And um, we think, um, you know, if you can uh, uh, cram uh, four little businesses on, on a corner somehow, that's good for the economy, even though, you know, that liquor store and um, beauty salon is, you know, is also, there's, you know, two blocks away. And um, so, but people now are not paying attention to planning issues, to school issues, to all those other kinds of things. And I think they, and I talk to friends and family, they don't understand um, government. So now when they're worried about, um, you know, the vaccine and COVID testing and how I'm going to get my vaccine, you know, they're calling city hall instead of the Fresno County health department. Cause why aren't they the same thing? Yeah. Well, in that the County, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It, I it, was, it, I was just, sorry to interrupt, but I was, no. I was thinking about that today because um, you know, I think the pandemic has really showed people the power that uh, boards of ed have. And that, that is nowhere more, uh, apparent than in San Francisco, where the city now say that they're suing the Board of Education to open up the schools. Yeah. And if you have to sue them, that shows how autonomous and how much power they have. Yeah. And people are yeah. realizing that and they're pissed, you know, because you know, they want their kids back in school. And they're like, well, shouldn't, you know, Jerry just call them and say open up? Well, no. I mean, that's, you have to have some understanding of how civic government, you know, how your municipal government works. Exactly. I just saw, I saw that um, um, uh, someone was, was uh, tweeting today that um, the Governor Newsom wants the schools open and one um, uh, local FTA member tweeted on, he, he can't tell us what to do. We're autonomous. It has everything to do with the school board. And, and you know, Gavin Newsom can allow you to open, but he, he sure can't tell you you have to open. Now, I, I'm sure that there's some tools such as withholding state funds or, or giving uh, state funds and, and as carrots, but, um, but he's right. And that's exactly uh, that understanding of schoolers. There's another good example, you know, half of, um, of uh, Clovis Unified is in the city of Fresno. And uh, most people say, well, wait a minute, how can Clovis be in Fresno? There aren't there the, you know, they, so they think Clovis Unified and, and, and city of Clovis is one thing and Fresno Unified and Fresno is, is I mean, there's, I can, I mean, there's stories and stories about, you know, how people were talking about. It. I remember when Clovis West Pool opened and Sports Illustrated a national story about their Olympic style pool and the, and the reporter put it Dateline Fresno and the Clovis people went crazy. <laughs> he said, it's not Fresno. Well, yes, it, that school was, is in the city of Fresno. Now it's in the Clovis Unified School District and all those cross boundary things is crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's all just a literacy thing. If we go back to it, you know, understanding that, you know, our society has gone in favor of local control when it comes to education and that's where a lot of the power resides. And I think, you know, some of these, the way politics are portrayed in the media of these like giants, titans fighting each other over who should open or keep it closed. And it just doesn't really relate to the actual workings of power. Um, but I want to transition and talk about um, leadership uh, in a newspaper and some of the kind of maybe what you learned uh, being the executive editor of the Fresno Bee. So what were what were some of the kind of 
you would say unique challenges of being uh, the executive editor at a newspaper? What, what, what were some of the things you had to work, work through and work with? Well, you know, people always thought that everything in the paper, you know, I ordered, you know, and ultimately the buck stopped with me and that's fine. And I'm, I'm more than willing to talk with them about that. Um, you know, and sometimes that's the easy stuff. But what was, you know, during my tenure at the B, we were really transi- transitioning from digital, you know, away from print to digital. Uh, the business model, um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, had already been blown up. So, you know, um, every day and every day, well, on my mind every day was how, how we can keep as many people employed as possible. And, um, you know, there was a week where I, you know, had to lay off 17 people um, because, you know, the, the corporate um, uh, folks, you know, gave me that ultimatum and, you know, I, and, and those are difficult um, uh, conversations. 17 people is really 17 families. And so those kinds of things. Now, I say, you know, how difficult that was for me. It wasn't near as difficult as the families losing their jobs and somebody who's losing their career. And, and um, so trying to balance that and having uh, the, to, to do that and also try to figure out ways to cover our community um, with fewer and fewer resources. We do layoffs and, you know, the staff would come to me is, is this going to be it? And I don't know. I wish I could tell you that, but you know, um, as long as, um, uh, we continue to lose advertising um, through the internet and 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 subscription sales. Um, there's going to be further cuts, and that's that's a difficult conversation. I will tell you, um, they did and do now incredible work um, in 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 their coverage. You know, I talk about they don't cover as much as they do before, but I will tell you, journalists today work a lot harder than journalists when I was uh, a reporter. I mean, we'd be off on one story or another, we'd have backup and things. You know, they're doing um, breaking news and, you know, my deadline was, you know, noon for the for the paper uh, when it was it used to be an afternoon paper and then, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night for the, for the next day's paper and their deadline is every, every hour. If there's a breaking news story, you better have it because somebody else is going to. So trying to balance all the needs of, um, of that were, was, you know, it was a, it was, it was a challenge in trying to keep the people engaged. And I, um, uh, and I mean engaged from the standpoint of not worrying so much about their future and, 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 and really engage in work because that's where the value um, is, but I know it was hanging over, uh, over um, me all that time. And, you know, when I made the decision to retire in January of, of 2018, I made it a few months before that, um, it really wasn't about, you know, being 68 years old, which I was at the time. Um, it was, it was, you know, I am going to try to leave, um, this in the hands of somebody else to take that next step. I think we really got a great editor in, in Joe Keita now. Um, but I, I didn't want to um, overstay my welcome because I, th- I think, you know, turning over at some point new blood and I, there was an opportunity at Fresno State, so it all came together. Um, but 
you know, trying, trying to be the best leader that you can and, 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 and being a good role model, you know, and I made a lot of mistakes, especially when I first got, got in the chair, I, I tended to be one who would um, um, make a lot of offhand quips about, you know, and jokes and stuff. And people took it seriously. Is that the policy? <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So, you know, your words carry different value when you're the, uh, um, you're, you're the editor. But, you know, one of the things that, that we wanted to do, we couldn't do that big um, enterprise project um, every weekend, every Sunday, like we did, you know, in the nineties, but, you know, we did a lot of really good projects and made a lot of things, a lot of changes. You know, the last major project was um, uh, done by um, three of our top reporters um, on Slumlords um, in, in, in the, in, in the Fresno area. And we, spent four, three reporters, four months, the equivalent of a year of, of, of reporting time covering that. And we, we made people's lives better. We changed, we changed laws um, where they had to have indoor inspections. I mean, some of the stories were just, you know, heartbreaking that would be warming in the middle of winter, warming their, their, their apartment, um, you know, with, with the stove open. That was the, that was their heat source. Um, there was mold in the corner. Um, children would tell us stories about waking up in the middle of the night and cockroaches would crawl out of their ear. You know, I mean, it sounds gross, but it was real. And, um, and we, we, we held slumlords um, feet to the fire um, and, um, and when the city council didn't want to move, um, our reporting forced them to because a lot of other organizations got involved, Faith in the Valley and, and others to, um, to really push hard um, to, get, to get something moving. So those kinds of things we could still do, we just don't do them in the way that we did before. Okay, so now is the time for a section called overrated versus underrated. Yeah. I've got four different, uh, four different, cat, or four different topics um, and you can either say, overrated or underrated or pass if you'd prefer to pass. Um, and some of them are more, you know, uh, some of them are trickier than others. The first one is something that I picture when I think about a newspaper for whatever reason in my brain, when I think of a newspaper, I think of the David Fincher movie, Zodiac. And I think of that 1970s uh, Chronicle newsroom, that huge newsroom with those desks and that. So my first one for you is, uh, is, uh, kind of open office space design. Is that overrated or underrated? Underrated. Okay, why? For me, I mean, it gives you an opportunity to walk around and, 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 and get involved um, with, with everybody. And, and, you know, the newsroom used to be a very loud um, place. Um, and so you had that kind of that open thing. And, and I, the Zodiac movie is great because Paul Avery, who was – communicating with um, with the with the zodiac was was a good friend of mine and I and when he moved to the Sacramento Bee we did a lot of um, investigative projects together so I had a little special connection to that but that's how the old Fresno Bee used to be um, it was wide open and I think it, it allowed you to, um, to connect better I, I maybe in the current environment um, people um, would would want to have um, 
uh, a more compact and have in their cubicles and 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 space. And I know that the bees changed. I've never I didn't get a chance to go to their their new newsroom that uh, in the Bitwise building before they moved out of there after the pandemic. So sort of rambled on that answer. Yes, but the conclusion was underrated in that it fosters connections between people. And I, I just read this, I'm reading this really great book by this journalist, Tim Harford, uh, who's an economist from the Financial Times, and uh, he does a bunch of BBC stuff. He's got this book called Messy. Um, and it's about, you know, messiness uh, for creatives actually is a, is, can be a beneficial thing. And one of the things he talked about was this building that was put up at MIT uh, in the 40s, I think, during World War II. It's called Building 20. And it was the most productive building of any of MIT's buildings in terms of the things that came out of there. And in, that was in part because it was a mess. And you had all these people in these different rooms that were unrelated to each other. There's no departments. So astrophysics was next to mechanical engineering or whatever. And they would just run into each other in the hallways. And you'd have all this crazy interaction between these different groups of people. And I, so I think that's one of the things. At the same time, I hear this kind of, these rumblings about deep work and the loss of deep work and you know, kind of white collar professional circles. And it seems to me that writing would be one of those areas of deep work. So where do you kind of land in this kind of debate about deep work and, you know, well, you know, when I, when I started as a reporter, we, we, in what is now um, the old Metropolitan Museum uh, building, uh, we were on the fourth floor. Um, it was a, 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 a linoleum floor. Um, um, manual typewriters, it was very loud. And so you got used to that. And I wrote long, deep, thoughtful pieces and I could block people out. I suspect if I went into that environment today, I couldn't work at all. Um, I, I think it's just what you get used to and how. Right. You okay. Second one, uh, the movie, All the President's Men, overrated or underrated? Um. <clears throat> Underrated. In fact, um, you know, I, I would say that um, the book, um, uh, you, you know, the books that have, that have impacted me, one of the ones I was going to talk about was All the President's Men, because I think that um, um, that really impacted my career. But I thought that that was a very well done movie, um, especially given um, the intricacies of um, of, of communications and, 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 and journalistic technique. And I thought that um, they reflected that pretty well. I mean, they had to take liberties like most movies do, and it's gotta be, you know, in two hours. Um, but I, 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 th I think I saw it not too long. I think it still holds up. Yeah. I just watched it again recently um, because it was just, you know, I've have this uh, HBO max subscription. They've got all these great old movies on there and I, you know, it's, you know, it's a pandemic. So what else is there to do? And I feel like for some reason, it feels like uh, these uh, subscription services are running out of new content. So they're, they're kind of trying to push us back to, you know, watching old stuff. Yeah, well, I, got, I just got an email, um, not to belabor that point, but I just got an email from, from uh, Peacock, which is sort of NBC and that their new streaming service, and they're bringing back Punky Brewster. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Yeah, they they, they got to get us to go vintage so that so we forget that we're not getting anything new for our monthly ten ninety nine. Um, okay, so next one is kind of a Fresno staple that 
I've asked a lot of people about um, uh, Neonets, overrated or underrated? Um, rated. <laughs> Accurately rated. Um, I think it's I think it's very good. I I I can remember as a kid, uh, and that was really the only pizza parlor in town. I think it's very good pizza. It's not the best. It's clearly not the worst. Um, they do. I think they do. They do a pretty good job. I think what people think of it generally, it's kind of right on. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's a thing that you have to grow into a little bit, like Fresno in some ways. You got to grow into it. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, if you had come from the Midwest or Chicago style pizza, this is not the pizza for you. But you know, if you are, um, and and what what me and Ed's brings back to me, um, we used to have a softball team, and um, you know, we would go to me and Ed's and and drink pitchers of beer and eat eat that pizza. You know, it didn't have to be the perfect perfect pizza, but you know, the camaraderie, all the beer, you know, soaking it up with, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's. Uh... I've come to actually really enjoy it and I've come to actually choose it. And I was, you know, I'd lived in a, I was, we moved here from the LA area and I lived near some really good kind of New York style pizza places. And then I show up to this and I'm like, what is this? Um, but it's, it's something that like, it just grows on you. And I, for as much as I talk about me and Ed's, I should really just have uh, the me and Ed's guy come on and explain their pizza to me. Um, last one on overrated versus underrated uh, local, TV news as a form of journalism, overrated or underrated? Um, I think it's overrated. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I was watching last night, and um, this is in the local segment, um, and they and they had a they and and they, they you know what do they have twenty eight minutes or whatever it is and a very narrow um, amount of time, and they did a segment on the Bachelor. Cause that, <laughs> how's that local news? Well, they know that people, the bachelor's popular and they're going to do that, but you know, you're going to give up your very limited time for a thing on the bachelor, which is, which will also be on the, on their national news. And will also be on, I think it was on um, good morning America. Or one of the, one of the, I can't, I don't even know what, which uh, it was on the, it was on the morning show. So um and I'm not a, obviously not a bachelor watcher, but I know how popular it is. Yeah. Local station give up that much space, uh, time to to something like like that, which is just a promotion for their 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 programming. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Nightcrawler? Yes. What did you think of the movie Nightcrawler? It's very overstated. Um, there's something to that, though. I will bet. Um, um, that there's a lot of people doing that and maybe not making any money on it. But, um, you know, I know that um, around, around the country, there used to be some, there's a, somebody over in San Luis Obispo that used to do this um, uh, as a stringer um, and, and did it uh, uh, for radio and, uh, and, and TV and would just go out to scenes, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be shooting video, but just giving um, facts and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was really overstated. And I thought the, the, um, the ethical, um, um, concerns that, that someone might have were, it was, it just would not happen in the real world that way. But yeah. 
it's a movie. Yeah, it was great entertainment, and Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. was great. Um, yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine that local TV stations are paying people to go inside murder houses. <laughs> but it's, no, it's kind of it delivers the point, which is that we are obsessed as a culture with murder and and crime, and you know that's that's what we you know and and sure. being afraid and scaring people like that that is something that's real. That's yeah. there. Um, so let's let's uh, two more questions. So. Um, Let's talk about what, what you think makes a good journalist. Um, so the definition of what a journalist has changed quite a bit, you know, a Paul Avery type uh, might've been a good journalist a few decades ago, but now someone that's on Twitter constantly and, you know, doing, uh, you know, working in different media and all, you know, kind of being a cosmopolitan and how they approach being a journalist is maybe something uh, that's appreciated now, but for you, What's, what's your definition of, uh, or uh, some attributes of a good journalist? Well, I mean, I think obviously that they have to be talented in their craft. Um, they need to understand that they are not the story, that they're bringing the story to, to you in the most even-handed and fair way, that they can communicate well, um, and that um, um, understanding their role um, is pivotal to our democracy which means they bring information and test uh, all sides of the political equation, if it's a public policy and, and political issue, um, in, in, in ways that sometimes um, elected officials don't like. I know that, um, you know, the new police chief got really um, a negative column from Mark Orzowski, the Fresno B columnist, but it was right on. I mean, he nailed it. Um, about how he got played again by um, the folks that uh, that shut down the uh, Sprouts Market, and how if that were a um, uh, Black Lives Matter protest, how in Fresno we would have done it uh, a whole different way. Um, you know, there's there's some really actually some very great you know excellent journalists in town, and I'll tell you, you know, one who's really stands out. Um, you know, is Corin Hoggard um, at ABC 30, who understands his role is um, is just a bulldog in getting facts, and um, and he uses social media um, uh, to promote those facts in a way that um, that I think um, helps the community. Um, you know, there's you know I. Uh, you know, when you start naming people, you, you know, start leaving people out, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I, and I do think there has been this kind of, uh, I don't want to say glamorization, but there's this, I feel like when people think about newspapers today, they think about their favorite editorial columnists, but oftentimes the best journalists are the ones that are not, you don't know their names. You just read their stories and, yep. and, you know, and, and I, do you think there's too much emphasis on kind of the editorial page as being the most important page in a paper? Um, you know, and I, I was at one time the editorial page editor of the paper and um, I know that we had influence. I'm not so sure we had as much influence with the general public as we did with public policymakers. Yeah. Um, and, 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 thoughtful people. So when we, when we endorse someone, um, we, you know, that person would win, would lose as often as it, that they would win. But when we took a position on a policy issue, 
um, uh, the mayor, the city council members, um, the chairman of the board, the school superintendent, the president of the university would be down talking to our editorial board. So it has a lot of influence, um, um, but I'm not so sure it's as persuasive with the general public. Yeah. Let's close with some books. Um, that's where I like to end every podcast is with books. Um, what are three important books uh, that have influenced you? Yeah, and I thought a lot about um, that, you know, um, All the President's Men was one who, um, you know, that book, you know, as I was a young journalist informing, um, I wanted to be a political reporter. So Timothy Krauss, Boys on the Bus, about the 1972 um, um, presidential um, uh, campaign that uh, really took people for the first time really inside of what uh, happens on the bus. And as it turned out, um, in, by 1984, I was one of those boys on the bus. Um, uh, at that time, it was, it was people on the bus because um, political journalists then were a lot of um, women who, who were doing a, a great job. So that had, that had a, a really um, good impact. And, um, you know, then the, the other book, and I was looking at it um, on my shelf, was uh, David Brooke, the New York Times columnist, uh, The Road to Character and How um, um, We've Become This Obsessed Society um, Since World War II. He said prior to that time, um, we, we had a lot of humility um, and, and, um, and, and that changed after World War II. We got a lot of braggadocia and, you know, uh, as we went into the 50s and 60s. And then, of course, now um, with social media, um, it's how many followers you have on social media. It's, it's are you an influencer? I mean, some of my students brag that they're influencers. If they tweet something, I mean, they get paid because, you know, and I guess it's a job, so I shouldn't knock that, um, that they use a certain brand of um, hair product or uh, sweater or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, and, and <clears throat> that said, I mean, I, you know, I'm also conscious of my um, Twitter following and whether or not anything I tweet ha um, has, um, gets retweeted and has any value. I try to use it to promote stuff that that's important to me and important to the Institute for Media and Public Trust at Fresno State. Yeah, well, I, I really resonated with that book in, in the resume versus eulogy virtues uh, kind of uh, paradigm that he sets up. I thought that was a helpful uh, way to think about things. And I, honestly, what you're talking about is, you know, this kind of influencer work is just you know, I mean, people get paid to do it, but people get paid to do awful things. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm of, of the mindset that the kind of the important work that we do um, or the important work that gets done is not glamorous and um, good journalism is dogged and exhausting and boring as hell. Uh, reading through the minutes of a meeting or whatever, but that's where, that's where power really works. I mean, people, you know, people are on a social media thinking that they're exercising power, but really the social media is exercising its power over you. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things, if you want to really change the world, 
you know, that happens outside of social media in many ways. I mean, social media has done great things. You know, it's, it's brought down horrible people like Harvey Weinstein and uh, other people like that. I mean, there's so many great things it's done, but oftentimes power happens in my mind outside of the walls of social media. I agree. And I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, for, for journals, especially is it's that important work that they do. And then they, then they reach a broader audience through their social media platform. But, you know, you know, seeing who's trending on, um, on social media and, and, and why they are, and of course I, I click on it too. Yeah. Um, if it's somebody I know and I hope they didn't die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You trend for different reasons, but yeah. Can you share a little bit about what uh, you're doing at your institute and the kind of work that you guys are focused on? Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. We started um, uh, in um, in June of 2018, so we've um, we've been um, uh, here about two and a half years, a little bit more. Um, we have three main goals that um, um, to improve media literacy in our region, um, to develop strategies to identify fake news, and um, to try to pr- to bridge the um, um, gap between um, uh, news consumers and and news outlets, that trust gap. And if we can do that through trying to shine a light on how media operate and and answer questions about that, we we do that. The First Amendment is at the core of what we do. It's very important. Um, And, um, and, you know, we we have several programs. We've got one that we've just launched. I'm really excited about it. It's a journalist of color program. So we're going to train high school journalists um, to be uh, high school students to become journalists. And we're going to pay them for five years through their senior year of high school into their college career. I know that most, you know, assuming they graduate in four years, I know that's difficult and we'll figure that out at the end, but we're going to pay them a stipend of $300 a month. We are going to give them academic counseling, mentorship, uh, and journalistic training. We are working with the No at um, um, uh, for the Youth uh, uh, Leadership Institute. They do a great job. They already have um, a platform for young journalists and that we're going to uh, bring that. And the, and the goal of that is to diversify um, newsrooms in the San Joaquin Valley. Um, and we, we believe that uh, we get students um, trained, uh, students of color trained that they're, they'll, they'll get jobs. That's wonderful. That's such a great program. And I, and I think, you know, there's so many reasons you want diversity um, because obviously it gives you different perspectives on the same issue. It helps to improve things. I mean, if you have diverse perspectives, the collective is going to improve yeah. as well. Um, and that's such a cool thing that you guys are doing. I, I, I think it's awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on and talking to me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. This has been great. I really uh, enjoy it. Uh, appreciate it, Jordan. I love, love uh, listening to your um, programs. I think um, this is a real jewel in our community. Thank you for that commitment to do that. Of course. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will drop midweek next week with Lindsay Callahan, the executive director of United Way Fresno and Madera. See you then.